welcome everybody at all of our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well. But those of you around the Twin Cities, way to go. You made it to church today. And those of you watching online, we know that this is your connection to our church, wherever you might be in your house or apartment, uh, uh, wherever you might live, a condominium. If you're out, out, out east on the coast, we uh, feel your pain. So we uh, want to welcome you especially as well. But glad you're here. We are in a series called Dumb Things Christians Say, and today's dumb thing is it doesn't matter what you believe. So many people wrongly think that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in your belief. doesn't matter what you believe about God, Jesus, or the Bible. People say all roads lead to God. Even, it even sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds thoughtful and inclusive. And what's interesting to me is that it's not controversial to be spiritual in our culture today. I mean, you watch any major sporting event, concert, or Grammy Award, and people give credit to God all the time. Talk shows talk about God and spirituality regularly. And so people are interested in God these days, very much so, but increasingly, it doesn't matter if it's the God of Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Mormonism or a mix of several of those uh, particular slants of religion. And there's a new category of people, typically under their 30s, called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns, who don't identify with any particular religious group. Nuns are spiritually interested, but it's like they're at a spiritual buffet where they kind of sample this, sample that, and then they form their own kind of thing. And all of that, all of that has given rise to this idea that it really doesn't matter what you believe. But is that true? Is it all the same? Do all roads lead to God? Jesus didn't think so. In fact, Jesus said, look, I am the way. I am the way, I am the truth. He said, I am the life, no one, not a single person gets to the Father, gets to heaven, except through me. He went on to say in Matthew chapter 7, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Broad is the road, many travel that road. But he said, narrow, very narrow is the road that leads to life. And there's just a few, there's just a few if you ever feel like it's kind of lonely on the road in Christianity, there's a reason for that. There's just a few that travel. Jesus said, there's only a few on that road. The reason this matters so much is if there's only one road to God and heaven, I want to be on that road, don't you? There's only one way I want to be on it. So I'm going to touch on three top world religions today, Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism. And I'm going to compare two things, their notion of God and their notion of salvation and maybe something from golf can get us started. Now, I've taught on this three years ago, but if you have any interest in golf, you probably dream about being at the Masters someday. I've never thought of going to the Masters because it's the hardest sporting ticket in the world to get. And if you happen to find one on the black market, it will cost you $3,000, which I could never do and still stay married. The lodging around Augusta National is $300 a night at a Super 8, if you can find one, or $1,000 a night from locals who rent out their homes. If you somehow get a ticket, all your friends begin to dislike you because they're so jealous that you have that. On the day of the tournament, Masters Tournament, patrons will line up before daylight, 5 o'clock in the morning. When the gate opens at 7, there's a mad rush to a second gate where you go through security. Cell phones and cameras are disallowed. Once through security, there's a mad rush to a third gate where hundreds of patrons squeeze into position for the final countdown when the gates open up. Then at 8 o'clock, 
The pearly gates to the hallowed ground of the masters finally swing open, and there's this mad rush onto the course. Three years ago, I stood at that very gate with my son. We couldn't believe we were there. We stood outside the gate, and you could almost hear the angels singing the hallelujah chorus on the other side of the gates. It's, I'm telling you, it's as close as heaven as you can possibly get. I, uh, I'll tell you how we got in in just a minute, but Augusta National is one of the most private properties in the world. Most of the local people who live there in Augusta have never seen the actual course. Most of the 300 members who belong to it are over 70 and walk around in their angelic master's green blazers. But here Dave and I stood on the edge of paradise. And our plan was to bolt down the ninth fairway through the woods around the bend and set up our chairs on the 16th green, which is really, really dicey because if you get caught running, you get ejected. Evidently, there's no running in heaven. Didn't realize that at the time. But my son is six foot two, so he took off in a, walk, a fast walk, passing people right and left. And I fell behind. I couldn't keep up with him. So I quickly handed him my chair. I said, you go, Dave. I'll catch up. I'll meet you at the 16th green. So he took off, got there in record time, caught up with him a few minutes later, and we began to enjoy one of the most glorious days of my life. I don't get out much, I know. But it was wonderful. We stood on the very spot where Bubba pulled off the shot of the century to win the tournament. Magnolia Lane was stunning. Amen Corner with Ray's Creek was mesmerizing, as was Tiger's shot that clanked off the flag into the water and cost him the tournament. Neither of us shed a tear over that. Even ESPN was delighted to have my son in there along with Phil Mickelson in the background. Here's the question, how did we get tickets? God sent Jesus <laughs> who gave them to us. At least it felt like that to us. But a guy named Chris in our church here, came up to me after a service, never, never met him before in my life, pulled up here and he said, you don't know me. I said, no, I don't know you. But he says, I've got two passes to the masters and they're yours if you want them. Plus I've got a free apartment five minutes from the golf course. I said, if you're messing with me right now, I am going to kill you. That's what I told him. Never met him before in my life. I'm telling you, this was a gift. This was a gift that dropped out of heaven. A gift that I didn't pay for, work for, or deserve. It was freely given and joyfully received. And folks, this is the message of Christianity. You can fit golf into anything. This is the message of the gospel that God came down in the person of Christ and he offers us a free pass to heaven that we didn't pay for, work for, or deserve. But the master offers us this free pass to the masters of heaven. I'm telling you, every other, religion, uh, every other religion, the road to heaven is based on your ability to earn it. You gotta earn it. And you never know if you've done enough. Every other religion is based on works. You have to earn it. But in Christianity, the road to heaven is based on what Jesus did not on what any of us do to earn it. All we have to do is simply receive the gift and say thanks. Now, it's important that we be respectful and tolerant of religious differences today, but being tolerant of something doesn't mean it's true. 
Folks, religious tolerance does not equal religious truth. We can be tolerant of, of all kinds of things. doesn't mean it's true. So religious tolerance doesn't mean it's actually true or right. Rabbi Zacharias, brilliant thinker, was born in India, raised a Hindu, but when he studied world religions, he became a Christian because of the overwhelming evidence of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Rabbi Zacharias devoted his life after that to researching and writing about religious truth. I want you to see what he says about this. He says, truth cannot be sacrificed on the altar of tolerance. Some beliefs are false, he says, and we know them to be false. To deem all religions equally true is sheer nonsense for the simple reason that they radically contradict one another. Tolerance does not make something true. Neither does sincerity, by the way. For example, our, our Mormon friends, and Mormons are, are wonderful people, sincerely believe, though, that God was once a man, God was once a man who now lives with his many wives on a mysterious planet somewhere, producing billions of spirit children. Is there any proof of this? None whatsoever. It's based on a revelation that a man, Joseph Smith, supposedly got from an angel in upstate New York in 1823. Four years ago, I interviewed the top-ranking Mormon bishop in Minnesota, Richard Halverson, and he told me on camera, and you can watch this online, told me on camera that for you and for me to get to heaven, we must be baptized in the Mormon church. On camera, I asked this question. Uh, Richard, I said, I said I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been a follower of Christ since I was five years old. I've been baptized in our church. He's my Savior. Are you saying that I'm not saved, that I'm out, that I'm not a, a, a born-again Christian? He said, look, you've got to be baptized in the Mormon church and become a Mormon. I pressed him. I said, does this mean if I'm not a Mormon, baptized in the Mormon church, that I'm going to hell? He said this, the only way to heaven is to be baptized in the Mormon church, but you will, if you don't do that, you will be given a second chance when two Mormon missionaries visit you there. I said, in hell? He said, yeah. To be baptized as a Mormon. That's your only chance. You get a second chance when, when two Mormon missionaries. Friends, Mormons believe, and again, I love our Mormon friends, but Mormons believe that the top bishop in Salt Lake City, Utah, is the sole spokesman for God on earth. The only spokesman for God on earth. And he adds to the Bible, ex-cathedra, new revelations that he gets ongoingly. Friends, Mormons sincerely believe these things. And it's tricky. Because they will often use the same words that we in our tradition, we'll use like Jesus is the Son of God or the Bible is the Word of God, but they mean different things. The meaning is different in the Mormon church. So words sound the same. It's kind of in the language. I've got to tell you, Mormons are some of the most upstanding moral people you will ever meet, but sincerity does not make something true. So let's look at how the, the big three 
view the Bible or view God and salvation. My goal here today is simply to show that these religions are so different, so different that there's no way all of them can be true. And it's not to criticize any one of them at all. It's not to demean or whatever. It's simply to show that all religions can't possibly be equally true and that we need to make sure that the past we're holding gets us in to the masters. So let's start with each religion's view of God according to Hinduism. There is no divine being, God. There is no divine being, God, but everything is a potential God. So in Hinduism, the stars can be gods, trees, cows, birds, fish, plants can be gods. There's over over 330 million gods in Hinduism. Even you and I can be gods. According to Hindu monk Dale Maharaj, if if you attain a high level of consciousness, you can be a god. You could be sitting next to a god here today in church. Deepak Chopra says it this way, man is God, man is God in a temporary state, and I just, I just love this phrase, he, self-forgetful. In other words, you're just forgotten. You just don't, you're not aware that man is God. There's a self-forgetfulness. In other words, there's no supreme being called God, but we are all potential gods. We are all potential gods in the making in Hinduism. Islam. In contrast to Hinduism, which has many gods, Islam has one God. Many believe that the God of Islam is the same God of Christianity and Judaism. But unlike the God of Judaism and Christianity, the God of Islam is impersonal and cannot be known. In Islam, there is no such thing as a personal God who loves you. No such thing as a personal God who forgives you. The thought that God would would visit the earth through the person of Jesus Christ is blasphemous to Muslims. They believe Jesus was one of the prophets and is revered as such, but they do not believe that Jesus was the Son of God who came to earth, died for sins, and now reigns supremely as God with God the Father in heaven. The first words heard by a Muslim baby and recited every single day in a Muslim's life is this, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is God's prophet. It's recited every single day uh, in, in Islam, Christianity. In contrast to Hinduism, which has many, many gods, and Islam, whose God is unknown and impersonal, Christianity teaches there's only one true God who invites every human being into a personal relationship with himself. And yet, while being intensely personal and noble, this God that we believe and worship is at the same time holy and powerful. God is everywhere present, the Bible teaches, which means he's not limited by a body and that he exists eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while the Trinity is beyond our finite understanding, there's certain things that this finite brain cannot understand about God, and Trinity, the Trinity is one of them. Many of us have seen the work of the Father. Many of us have, have experienced the love of Jesus the Son, and we have been led by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. The Trinity. 
On a personal level, we would say that God speaks to us by his word and by his spirit. We would say that he has given us a new kind of love, a new kind of peace, a new kind of joy. We would say that God guides us by his eternal wisdom that we can't explain. We would say that God has answered our prayers, wouldn't we? That God has blessed our lives and changed us in ways that defy explanation. Now, in contrast to Hinduism and Islam, the God of Christianity is personal. God of Christianity is loving, and his love was supremely demonstrated through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God used to speak to us through the Old Testament prophets, but then he spoke directly to us. God did through his son, Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 1 says it this way, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and catch this last statement, and through whom Jesus made the universe. The Trinity, three in one. Jesus made all that exists. So just to summarize what we've talked about so far, their view of God, Hinduism, 330 million gods, the stars, trees, cows, insects, neighbors, even your wife might be, I don't know about that. Islam. (laughs) Islam, there's just one God. He's impersonal, cannot be known. He cannot be known. He does not love. He does not forgive. Jesus is not God. That's Islam. Christianity, there's one God. He's personal. He can be known. He does love. He does forgive. Jesus Christ is God himself. So friends, no one with integrity, as you look at this, could say that all religions are the same and equally true and it doesn't matter what you believe. In fact, if one of these is right, then the other two have to be false because they're so radically different. Now let's do a little comparison of each religion's view of the way to salvation. And let's say I come to a Hindu priest, and, which I've actually witnessed in, in India and observed this, but I come to a Hindu priest and I say, you know, my life is a wreck. I've messed it up big time. How can I gain forgiveness and become saved? This Hindu priest would say, your only hope, your only hope is that you do enough good deeds so that when you die and experience reincarnation, You might be reborn at a higher level. Reincarnation is the Hindu belief. Dale Maharaj writes this. He says, Hindus believe in reincarnation, which is the continuation of life. Before my human birth, says Dale Maharaj, I had thousands of other births in different bodies. I've often wanted to ask him, how do you know that? What's the evidence of that? Where's the factual proof of reincarnation? When I die, he says, my life force leaves my body and goes into another body and is reborn. He says, so my true identity is not what you see here in my person. In my next birth, I might go into a lower lower creature or be elevated. Liberation comes if I can stop that cycle and I'm finally separated from my body. Next slide here, I think. Yeah. How how do Hindus gain liberation? One of the Hindu scholars says, Hindus can attain liberation by keeping vows, giving alms to God, and even self-torture. But most Hindus, watch this, 
have a common destiny. Due to their carnal nature that we all have, they are condemned to be continually reborn into a lower condition, ultimately as an animal or insect. This is the Hindu faith. There's no heaven, friends. There's no heaven in Hinduism. There's no supreme being God. You are caught in a constant cycle of reincarnation into different life forms. And because we're all messed up sinners, typically it's a lower life form. So quite literally, and I mean this in all due respect, the spider that I killed this morning could actually be my Aunt Betty who died 40 years ago. And, you know, that's just the way it is in Hinduism, honestly. And I mean no disrespect whatsoever when I say that. Islam. So Hinduism works. Islam, when it comes to salvation, Islam teaches that you absolutely must earn your way to salvation. There's no savior. There's no forgiveness. You are on your own and you can never know if you've been good enough. You'll never know if you've been good enough to earn heaven. Rabbi Zachariah says it this way, in Islam the distance between God and man is so vast that man can never get close to God and because this chasm is impossible to cross, Muslims are in a constant state of striving and trying to work their way to heaven. Yet with all their striving, there's never a certainty of heaven. Can you imagine living with that? Never a certainty that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because Jesus loves me and died and rose again to prove his divinity. And my trust is in him. I can't imagine living that. One's destiny is left at the mercy of an unknown God. And so, how do you earn heaven if you're a Muslim? How do you earn your way to heaven? Five pillars. Maybe some of you have heard this. You have to strictly adhere to five pillars. Here they are. You have to recite the creed and creeds every day. You have to pray five times a day. But in order to pray five times a day, you've got to wash your hands, your feet, your ankles, your you're up to your elbows, your mouth, your ears. Every single time you pray, five times a day, if you miss, you're out. you got to give alms. you got to fast 30 days every ninth month. Fast for 30 days every ninth month during the month of Ramadan. And then you must make a trip to Mecca. You're saved, hopefully, You'll never know, but you're saved by works, and you'll never know if you've done enough. Christianity. The Bible teaches that you and I have been separated, separated from God by our sin. Romans 3.23 says this. Friends, for all of us have sinned. Me, you. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Every one of us are separated from God by our sin. It says the penalty for sin is death, physical and eternal death. But because of his love, God provided a way for us to escape eternal death. Romans 6.23 says the penalty for sin is death, physical and spiritual death. But, but, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Goes on to say, to all who receive him, 
It's a gift to be received. Can't earn it. To all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. It's all based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the resurrection is the ball game. That's the whole deal. Jesus proved his divinity. He proved his victory over sin and death by dying and rising again. And 500 witnesses saw that and wrote about it in the Bible. It's what we stake our life and faith on. So to summarize, summarize, how do you earn salvation? Hinduism, there is no salvation. Really, there's no heaven. Just this constant cycle of reincarnation, usually to lower life forms. In Islam, it's the five pillars, reciting creeds, praying, giving alms, fasting, and pilgrimage to Mecca. To Jesus Christ, Christianity, Jesus Christ, it's a gift. It's a gift. To be received. When my son was about 12. We were golfing together, and we had to cross a railroad track to get to the next tee. And as we crossed these tracks, I looked down, and there was a mud turtle wedged between the track and a large beam, and he couldn't go forward, and he couldn't go backward. He was hopelessly stuck. I said, Dave, look, look at this turtle. So I reached down, I, I tried to pull him out, but his shell was just wedged in there. He had, he had crawled his way, wedged in there, couldn't pull him forward, couldn't tip him sideways. My son bent down. Neither of us could get this turtle out, and so we laid our clubs down along the side of the tracks, and we thought, what are we going to do? Now, Hinduism would say to this turtle, man, you must have been a real loser in your former life to have been reincarnated into a mud turtle. Hinduism would say your only hope is when the train comes and smashes you to pieces is that you get reincarnated into a higher life form. Good luck, Mr. Turtle. You're on your own. Islam would say you, Mr. Turtle, are about to die and come face to face with an impersonal, unknowable God. Hopefully. Hopefully, you've repeated the creeds enough, prayed at least five times a day without fail, washing hands, ankles, elbows, mouth, ears, everything. Hopefully you've done that five times a day without fail, given enough alms, fasted 30 days of the ninth month of every year during the month of Ramadan, and made the pilgrimage to Mecca. Because if you did not do that, you face an eternity in hell. You'll never know if you did enough until the moment you die and face the supreme God. Good luck, Mr. Turtle. You're on your own. Now, the truth is, you and I represent that turtle. We are hopelessly stuck. We are unable to save ourselves. My son and I looked at this turtle and said, he's not going to make it on his own. He cannot get out of this situation. And that's what the Bible says about every one of us. We are stuck in our sin. The train is coming. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. The only way out is if God in his mercy reaches down and sets us free from sin and death. Every other religion on the planet operates by a single word, do. You gotta do more and do more and do more. You gotta pray more and work hard and you will never ever know if you've done enough. Every other religion on the planet, you gotta do it. 
In Christianity, the word is done. It's done. The Bible says it's already finished. The price has been paid for sin and death. The gift is there. It's to be received. And the Bible would say, have you received the free gift? Because salvation is here. Jesus said, it is finished. It's been completed. It's completely done. There's nothing more to do to be saved except receive the free pass and walk in. And so my son and I looked down at this terminal and we said, well, there's nothing we can do. Good luck. Train's coming. See ya. No, that's not what we said. <laughs> we knelt down and we dug a hole underneath the turtle and kept digging and digging, got a couple of sticks and we kept digging until we could just, just tip him a little sideways and we pulled him out and set him free. Put him down on the ground and made his way toward a swamp where he belongs. The Bible says that God sent his son Jesus to set us free. You can't do it yourself. We're hopelessly stuck in sin. And that's why God in his love sent a Savior to offer a way. 2,000 years ago, God looked down on this sad, sorry world that he created in love, and he sent his son Jesus to come to our level and provide a way out. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still stuck in the tracks, while we were hopeless and didn't know where to go, Christ provided a way he came. It's the only way any human being can ever be saved and forgiven. And so as we close today, I, I, I think there's three kinds of people here today. Most of us, I believe, you know, have received this free gift. Most of us here today, you've experienced the love of God. You worship him in prayer. You come to church and you're, you're on your, your way to getting to know God better and your faith is real. You've experienced his forgiveness. You've received the free pass of the masters and you'd never turn back. Best deal in the world. But there's a second kind of person here, I believe, and you just don't buy it. <laughs> you know, you're skeptical. You have questions. God offers you this pass and you're like, there's no way. It can't be that easy. It can't be true. And I'm so glad, if you're a skeptic here, I'm so glad you're here today. It's okay to be skeptical. It's okay to have questions. You should ask all the questions you can possibly ask. But one thing you cannot say is this, that it doesn't matter what you believe. You simply cannot say all religions are equally true. You can't do that. So if you have questions, my counsel to you is this. you got to figure out which road is the right road because your life and your eternity absolutely depends on it? Keep searching, keep asking. Two things I would advise you to do. Keep coming to this church or some church or get online, start watching other churches teach and just make it a habit. And the second thing I would advise you to do, if you're a skeptic here today, pick up this book. It's called The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist 
graduated from Yale Law School, hated Christianity, hated Christians, set out to disprove Christianity, and in his search, he became a Christian because of the overwhelming evidence of who Jesus is. And so Lee writes about this, and if you have never read that, pick a book. It's in our bookstore. Get online, Amazon, whatever you need to do. Get that book, Case for Faith by Lee, and read it cover to cover. You owe it to yourself. The third kind of person, I believe, who's here today, you're ready. You're ready to receive the free pass. You're ready to go to the master's. You just need to receive it and go. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. I'm telling you, friends, the only way you're going to find out if that statement is true is if you take the ticket, receive the ticket, and experience the master for yourself, to cross that line of faith and say, I, I don't understand everything about this, but I think a gift is being offered to me. I'm going to receive it by faith and see what happens. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. And so at all campuses, I want to close this in prayer. Just stay seated real quick. And if you're that third person where you've been kind of sitting here saying, man, I want to experience that. I want to experience the love and forgiveness of a Savior. I want to experience this new kind of love, this new kind of joy that seems to escape me. I want to experience a new peace in my life. I am so anxious. Some of you sit here, you're so anxious. But you want to experience a new kind of peace and a new kind of power in your life to overcome sinful patterns that trip you up. Receive the pass. At all campuses, let me lead you in a quick prayer. God, some of us are sitting here saying, that's me, I'm ready. And so if you're ready, just pray this simple prayer right where you're seated. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for desiring a relationship with me. Thank you that when I was caught in sin, still running the other way, that you sent your son, Jesus.